Welcome to another episode of the Spoon Mom Podcast. This week is another mini update episode. We actually have sommelier Chris Dillman returning to the podcast to talk about the latest project, new project that he's working on. Last time we spoke to Chris, he was out at FLX Table out in Geneva, New York, part of Chris Bates's restaurant group there. Came back to Columbus, spent some time at the refectory again, just working service and everything. And then he got involved, uh, actually, as he explains it, kind of really before he wound up headed out to FLX Table and everything. Everything kind of started to materialize with Littleton's Market, which is going to be a new food market uh, in the Upper Arlington area. It's replacing a couple things that were already there. And it's a build out of basically a brand new space. It's currently under construction. It looks amazing from the stuff that I've seen, the architectural drawings and stuff that they posted. I think you can find them on their Instagram account. But it's going to have a coffee cafe component. There's going to be a wine bar there. They're going to be doing some outside probably pop-up dinners eventually too as well. They have an outside kind of grilling space um, that they're building too. And then it's also going to have the market component, different local purveyors and stuff like that too. So it's going to be kind of like if you've ever been to here in Columbus, probably I'd say the Whole Foods on Sawmill where you have all the kind of dining components around the edge. But it's also going to have a bit of a Wylands vibe too as well. It's going to be kind of like a cross thing. So it sounds really awesome. We don't really have anything like it. We have different aspects of this type of store spread out around Columbus, but nothing that's containing all of those in one place and kind of a one-stop shop where if you want to go have a drink, you can. If you want to just stop in there and grab three things because you ran out of whatever those are for that night's dinner at home, you can do that too as well. So they're really consciously thinking about the ins and outs, how traffic flows, where, and we kind of get into it too as well, you know, the path that most people are going to take, how the traffic's going to flow throughout the store and the aisles. How do you keep it from clogging up where it makes people feel that the uh, place is smaller and the aisles are compact? You know, if you have too many people in the aisles and stuff like that, you know, making sure that the structural poles are not in the middle of aisleways, you know, when you think about it, but when you go through a grocery store and you go down that aisle and those poles are in the middle of the aisle and you have to pick a side, it's a different feeling. So they're taking all that into account. It sounds like a really awesome project. Looking to open kind of around the Labor Day timeframe, it sounds like. So this is kind of why Chris has come back. He got involved with this project and wanted to come on and chat about what they got going on and, and aspects of them coming up to opening and construction and everything. So definitely wanted to have him back on to chat about it because it's super unique, super interesting to us too as well. You know, like I said, there's not much around Columbus that's like it. So it sounds like a really cool thing. You can follow him on Instagram. His Instagram account is still the same uh, as he was on here before. It's at best underscore dressed underscore buster. You can also follow the Littleton's Market account. It's at Littleton's Market on Instagram. They're posting construction updates and stuff like that. You'll get kind of a feel of what they've got going on. But follow us on Instagram too as well at SpoonMob. You can also check out our website, SpoonMob.com. Follow us on all the other social medias if you want, but mainly we use the Instagram and the website. Website, we have different links to all the episodes, different profiles for every guest that's been on, different food photos, wine photos, all that stuff is up there. Eventually, it makes its way to Instagram, but it all kind of arrives on the website first. There's a contact portal, too. You can send in questions, comments, feedback. Thank you to those who have been using it and sending that stuff in. Really appreciate it. We respond to everybody in about a day or two. Get back to anybody that sent anything in or looking for a recommendation, if they're going on a trip or whatever. Happy to provide any of that information. And then also make sure to follow, subscribe to the podcast, whatever platform that you're using. That way all new episodes drop straight into your feed. Pretty much it's just a little check mark, but we're on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. I mean, any platform that has podcasts, you can find us. 
And then we have the YouTube channel. Episodes hit there a week after they debut on the podcast platforms. So you can find us there too as well. But without any further delay, here is my conversation with sommelier Chris Dillman, who's going to be the beverage director over at Littleton's Market in the Upper Arlington neighborhood of Columbus, Ohio. Since the last time you were on this podcast, uh, I think at that time you were out at FLX table. You returned to Columbus. You were back at the refractory for a bit. And now you're going to be running, I believe, the beverage operations for Littleton's Market. How did that opportunity happen? Kind of fill us in on, you know, how that materialized and, you know, why you decided to accept that challenge. Actually, I first started meeting with them when I was still up in Finger Lakes. A good friend of mine had been approached by the Littleton's folks about helping them get up and running. And he reached out to me really for beer and wine at that point. Uh, I had a phone interview or two. And I kind of knew that the Finger Lakes wasn't going to be for us. It was just a little bit too remote, too rural. So I came back to Columbus with the idea in mind of working for Littleton's. But construction delays being what they are, took a little longer than they planned and perhaps a little longer than I planned too. But yeah, I was back at the refectory for about a year. It's uh, home away from home many, many times. We always joke that you've never worked your last shift at the refectory, even when you're dead. So I did about a year there. Uh, and I came on board full-time with Littleton's back in December. I've done grocery and retail before, and this seemed like a really exciting new version of it. It's a really ambitious project and sounded really fun. They have an Instagram account and there's a lot of sketches of the plans, like the architectural plans, and then there's some construction photos and stuff. So piecing the concept all together, is it kind of similar to almost like a Whole Foods in a way? Like it's going to be a market operation. So I kind of almost view it as like a Wyland's, but then they're going to have like different kind of stands in there too as well for grab and go, or there'll be a bar and stuff like that. Is that kind of what they're doing? Whole Foods would be a good way to put it. Whole Foods, Wyland's, if you're familiar with the Dayton Market, Dorothy Lane would probably be a good a hybrid thereof. So the original space, which has had a family-owned grocery store for, I think, the better part of 50 years, was Huffman's and then UA Food Market up until relatively recently. So they took over the spot and they actually took over a large section of the bank, which is to the east. Uh, I believe it went from 8,000 square feet to 14,000 square feet. So uh, bigger than it was, still you know compact for a grocery store. The center of it will be a giant prepared foods and sort of main grab and go section. That will be the, the dead center. They built a giant skylight to sort of open the space up, give some more lightness and brightness, which was kind of lacking in the previous incarnations. Uh, and then around it, you'll have a traditional grocery store. You know, we want to specialize in higher end products, but also if you need toilet paper and toothpaste, you know, we want to be your one-stop shop there. When you walk in, you'll see my stuff first. There's going to be a huge cafe just as you walk in, and that will sell both coffee drinks, the traditionals, but we'll have a permit to sell and serve beer, wine, and liquor on site too. So uh, working out that transition is sort of my goal right now. You know, people are going to want great coffee at 7 a.m., but at some point they're going to want cocktails too. And figuring that out uh, is still a work in progress, but the cocktail program itself is going to specialize uh, in using product from within house. So I don't like this term, but I can't find a better one, a, a sort of a produce-driven cocktail menu. Our produce person um, is very excited, very good at what they do, and wants to offer some unusual stuff. For example, she wants to offer shiso leaf because she has a good purveyor for it, which you know, not everybody necessarily knows what it is. It's really flavorful. It's really tasty, but it also has sort of a short-ish shelf life too. So using something like that in cocktails where both I can use up a product that has a limited shelf life, 
and give real-time examples of what people can do with this product produce that they're not necessarily familiar with at the same time is kind of what I'm shooting for. So like the whole project itself, it's a bit of an ambitious, uh, ambitious goal, but working on it. So eventually, will you get to a point where there's different wine tasting events and stuff like that? Or is that something that you plan on doing? Also, work in progress. Um, I don't know if you've seen the outside. We did build a large pavilion out there. Uh, and it's it's three seasons. It's got wind shade. It's got heat. It's got fans. Uh, but it's also got an outdoor grill for cooking. It's got a fireplace. And the goal is to use that as sort of a you know, community rallying point, if you will. So this year, the UA Farmers Market has moved over to us. And on Wednesdays, it'll be out there. Uh, it'll be a space that people, in theory, can rent out for birthday parties or what have you. But uh, wine tastings, all sorts of events. There's a possibility that that might be sort of tied into the store. So we'll be able to extend our liquor and beer wine sales out there, which would be great. Uh, but like a lot of things, it's a moving target right now. Yeah, I can tell you firsthand just from trying to find spaces that can accommodate a small one-year-old's birthday party, there are few and far between. If you guys are able to do that, that'll probably pay for itself. Uh, I can tell you that it's not an easy task. With this concept, you know, you set up the beverage program like we talked about on the previous episode at Giant Eagle in Grandview, which is still a pretty great beverage program there that they've kind of expanded out. So how much of your experience from that are you able to draw on? Is this similar? You know, you kind of get flashbacks going through some stuff. Is this completely different where you're like, I thought this would be like before, but this has completely changed, you know, because it's been X amount of years. It is very different. The business has changed a fair amount, but also this project is quite unique too. Like I mentioned earlier, we want to be the one-stop shop. If there's a big complaint that I heard at that Giant Eagle Market District, at least for the first year or two, was from regular UA residents saying, don't shop here because I can't get in and out quickly. I just want to pop in. I want to get a few things. I don't want to sacrifice quality, but I want to be in and out fast. So that's something we're trying to keep very much in mind. You know, the distributors were nice enough to give me some sales data for what UA Food Market and Huffman's had been doing. And they had really, really good wine sales. UA people like to drink. I don't think it's a mystery to anybody. But trying to figure out the mix of what's going to make the traditional people who shopped at Huffman's happy and do unusual and new things that are going to set us apart, that's sort of a balance I'm working on right now. There's a portion of people who are happy to come in and spend $300 on steaks, and they want a $7 bottle of wine at the same time. It's not up to me to stand in their way. It's up to me to make their shopping experience as well-rounded and, I guess, approachable as possible, yet still keep it interesting. So that's sort of an interesting line I'm having to walk of, you know, the number one seller for wine at Huffman's Market was Clodebois Chardonnay, which is in every grocery store in America. I intend to sell it because there's an audience for it. But at the same time, I don't want that to be the dominant thing we're doing. Probably the biggest differentiator, and I made a presentation to our owners a couple of weeks ago about what I was doing, is if you look at the distributors that dominate in a giant eagle, most utilized to least, our mix is just the opposite. So the big boys, the the Southern Glazers, the Heidelbergs, they're going to be a relatively small portion of what we do, but we do need them for some unique things that we can't get elsewhere. But the majority of our offerings are going to be from people like uh, Skernick or Cutting Edge who are doing small production, family-owned, mostly estate-bottled wines. Is kind of like the appeal for this project then being able to build this whole program from scratch? You know, it's the beers, the wines, the cafe program, like it's all just... You get to create everything and figure it all out. That's kind of the the thing that lured you in, really. 
That is both a, uh, a wonderful opportunity and a sometimes daunting challenge. You know, when you take on basically a space that's a vanilla box where nothing has been there before, the entire team is working from the ground up to build every single piece. And that's plastic lids for cups, making sure they match for the cafe and sourcing proper cocktails, uh, getting our own coffee roasted for us. We've teamed up with a local roaster, and I believe he is on the 17th iteration of our custom roast for us, and he thinks he's finally gotten it right. So it's every little piece, putting it all together, keeping it on a timeline, and you know, keeping from losing your marbles at the same time over a project this big. Uh, but yeah, that's that was very much the appeal, the ground floor of something new. So you mentioned earlier, you know, the shiso leaf and kind of exploring, I don't want to say odd ingredients, just ingredients that maybe most people don't know of or haven't encountered kind of thing, specialized ingredients, maybe. So is that kind of more of the lane that you guys will be focusing on? Or is there still going to be a localized component to as well from different stuff from different farms and whatnot and purveyors to or kind of a happy mix or lean one way or the other? Very much focusing on local and Ohio-based products. That's going to be an emphasis wherever possible. Um, we have a really great person who's doing our sustainability and, and sourcing uh, our ethical guidelines for that. And as much as possible, we're going to emphasize locally grown, family-owned, female-owned, minority-owned, um, people who work ethically both in their sourcing and production. That's going to be the real focus. Yeah, It's a little, my department is a little more difficult have sort of hard lines on those things. The coffee we're going to be host, we're going to be offering is uh, direct and uh, fair trade sourced. So that's something that I can focus on. But wine, whenever possible, yeah, will be family produced, uh, female owned, whenever we can. It's not always going to be possible, but yeah, that'll be the focus. How much research and just education and reading that did you have to do in terms of the coffee program? Because you know, obviously. The wine stuff you got, the beer stuff, spirits, like all that is, you know, you've been doing that for years, but the coffee program is something that usually falls under a different part of kind of the the restaurant. So how hard, how challenging has it been to get up to speed on that? Uh, it, it's been unusually challenging. So back in college, my wife and I, before we were married, we worked at a you know a coffee shop that used to be over in Dublin Village and it was super high volume and really high quality. So I had the background, but to say I was rusty was you know, a, a bit of an understatement. Um, I think the biggest challenge for me is that I've come from independent restaurants where you're more or less a, a one-man army. This is your thing and you run every portion of it and you make sure it's all done and it's your thing. I don't really have that option here with so many moving parts, having beer, wine, NAs, and a full cafe with service underneath me. I can't be that one-man island anymore. So I've had to sort of give up some of my belligerence at controlling everything and start to sort of outsource and work with other people. And Luck Brothers, or I don't know if you know Andy Luck, he used to have a, a shop in Grandview, and now he roasts. He's the one that's going to be providing our coffee. And he's been a great resource uh, of what people expect, helping make decisions as far as equipment goes. I think we're going to be working with his former head barista uh, as one of our main people to do training. So it's been a lot of a learning curve. For once in my life, I've not felt the need to necessarily take all that work on my shoulders and let people who are good at it and know it do it because that's what they do. It's been a unique set of challenges. And I think for the first time in my professional life, I'm giving up a little bit of control and letting other people do good things. And I don't have to have my fingers in it all the time. With kind of the, the alcohol portion, what has been harder to edit down since you're building from scratch? You can put anything you want in there, but obviously you're kind of looking at the previous sales data and know that 
this is, you know, a direction we kind of have to keep in mind too, but what's been harder to kind of revise or change or even edit down, you know, the beer selections or the wine selections, like what's been. Beer has been the hard one for me Uh, because when I was at Giant Eagle, I focused really on beer, but that's been 10 plus years and the game has changed entirely. Uh, Some of that is COVID changes. Uh, like right now, as far as domestic beer goes, you know, craft and microbrews, nobody bottles anything. It's all cans. Uh, that's a huge shift in the last 10 to 15 years. You know, there are a lot of breweries that are popping up all the time, knowing what's worth, for lack of a better word, what's worth talking about and what's worth carrying. Um, it's something that I've kind of had to get up to speed quickly on. But again, much like the coffee, I'm trying to relinquish a little bit of my obsessive control issues. And I'm letting the distributors do what they do well. They know their product. They know where it works. They know when it doesn't. They know what people like and don't. And within reason, if they can justify what their selections are, I'm going to let them be a little, give a little more freedom in helping select what we offer rather than me just being there constantly making every decision. They have skills, they have knowledge, and as long as they use it properly, uh, I'm happy to kind of let them take a little more of a lead on this too. But beer has been a daunting task for sure. Yeah. When Josh from Pretentious was on, he talked about how he was forced to switch over from bottles to cans, like the stores, but they wouldn't take bottles anymore. And it was like, they don't want to deal with it. And then too, a lot of people don't know, I mean, recycling is a whole thing, but if you wind up putting glass in with your recycling bag, you know, you close the bag, but if that glass in that bag breaks, they throw the whole thing out. Like they don't sort through it or anything. And the whole thing about most of it going to a landfill anyways, especially the Cleveland stuff um, from like a year or so ago, which came out, but that's a whole other separate thing. But yeah, yeah, I can imagine that's been a, a different change. People can kind of get wine and beer from a lot of different places around the city. I mean, there's a few different wine shops. And, and like you said, I think we're probably at, I mean, I think the Ale Trail alone has like 60 some breweries on it. And there's probably another 20 that aren't on there. So why should they come there for their alcohol needs, their wine, their beer, even obviously the grocery store stuff. But why should somebody drive from Dublin, you know, to go to Littleton's instead of going to the Giant Eagle or the Kroger or whatever? Uh, I can speak for my department, but I think you, this is a fair extension to make to the other folks that are going to be working there too. A unique combination of experience in the industry, knowledge of what's out there, and how they work together. At the risk of sounding like I'm tooting my own horn or floating my own boat, I don't think there's going to be a retail shop anywhere in the state manned by a person or people who have more experience in working with wine, selling wine, tasting wine, pairing it with food. And understanding what a guest wants, both from a retail and restaurant side. Think if somebody's looking for something, it's going to be the unique place to get. There's a better chance you're going to get exactly what you're looking for here than anywhere else. Uh, and that comes from a, a, a long background and a depth of knowledge and proper training, too. Um, I think you can say that for the other apartments as well. There's also the unique side of, yes, you can come here and shop and you can get a glass of beer, a glass of wine, which you can do at other grocery stores. Uh, but I think the cocktail program is going to alter how that works quite a lot. And the quality of the dining in-house will be very good. And the fact that you can enjoy it outside as well. I think it's a combination of all the above is why. Will there be any sort of pop-up events or anything like that? You'll have this kind of beer, wine, cocktail area. You have the outside area. So if there's a grill and everything on site, that kind of makes it a natural environment for somebody who's exploring a concept to possibly host a pop-up dinner or something. Is that a possibility there or is that so far down the road that nobody's really kind of figured out the details of what they would want to do if they wanted to do that? 
I would say it's a possibility as we're still kind of exploring what exactly we can do with that outdoor dining space and really what we can do with our indoor space. We'll probably get some better ideas, but you can look at all the architectural drawings in the world and you can look at all the shelving and you can get the measurements. But until you're actually standing in the building and you're putting things on shelf and you're walking through aisles and you see the physical space, it's kind of hard to make hard plans. One of the big things we've talked about amongst our group the entire time is when we open, we need to have our decisions about 80 to 85% set in stone. That other 15% is going to change the minute we open and it's going to continue to change for months on end. So Yes, I think there's an opportunity for pop-ups there. How we're fully going to realize that space is still kind of a, a work in progress. Traffic flow alone, like you could sit there and analyze it for months on end, but until you realize that, you know, the watermelon case splits everybody going two different directions, like, and you just have to move it five feet to the right and then everybody flows this way, like you just have to see it in person kind of thing. So when are they roughly shooting to be open? So we got a pretty good call um, that we're about 90-ish days from taking over the space from the construction team. Um, obviously, there are going to be variables in there. Refrigeration is a big one. But they feel pretty confident that we'll take the space over in 90 days um, with a target of opening to the public in about 120 days, giving us enough time to be in-house producing drinks, food with our equipment in our space, with our packaging and our glassware and everything to make sure it fully works it's vetted we have time to get all the recipes down so shooting for early august is what official line has yeah so like probably labor day ish weekend is probably the the target no it sounds like a really cool concept you look at the different kind of independent grocery stores we have i mean there's the hills downtown which i think the building actually just got sold so who knows if they're still going to be around i think the um the partial owner bought it out from the other folks if memory serves I think somebody's buying up property around there because there's another building nearby that just sold too. Was it the Nicholson Group or whatever? I think according to the press release was buying stuff up down. I'm not 100% sure, but that sounds right. Yeah, then you got, you know, Wylands, but Wylands is a small space. It's It can get crowded in there. I mean, they carry a lot of unique things, but um, it can be a little tough to maneuver, especially on the weekends, you know, and then obviously you have your corporate grocers and, and everything like that. And even, you know, the Whole Foods, they're a drastic difference. The one that's on, you know, out in Easton, which is pretty small versus the one that's in Sawmill. Sawmill's a nightmare, whatever part of the week that you want to go down there. So it sounds like a really cool concept, really aggressive and really interesting to eat too, that they're kind of putting all these different aspects together. And I'm really curious to kind of see how the finished product winds up being just because from everything I've kind of seen and read, it sounds really amazing. And, you know, Cleveland kind of has something like that with they have a uh, Heinen's, which is in like an old building. And everybody kind of raves about that up in the Cleveland area. If you've never been, um, you wind up there. It's just something to walk through, even if you don't need a grocery shop. And, and they have some independent places up there, too, as well in Ohio City and whatnot. So we don't really have a, a one stop shop place here in Columbus. I think that's always kind of in the running joke uh from anybody that's lived here for a while you can get some of your stuff from giant eagle and you got to get the other stuff from kroger and you got to get the other stuff from whole foods or whatever so it'll be cool to see finally there be kind of a one-stop place where you can do everything and that it's actually like consciously thought through about how the layout wants to be and it's not just a corporatized like well we want to jam as much stuff as we can in here um regardless just to you know boost sales and everything so yeah i'm super excited to, to see it open and stopping in and seeing what it's all about yeah i'm looking forward to it too it's 
it's funny you mentioned the, the carefully thought out things, uh, the number of meetings and uh, discussions we have over relatively straightforward things. It's being very well thought through. I promise you that much. A big thanks again to Chris for reaching out, coming back on the podcast, chatting about Littleton's market and how he got involved and what to expect and everything that's gone into the project so far and everything that they're looking forward to. So again, you can follow him on Instagram at best underscore dressed underscore busser. You can also follow Littleton's market. It's just at Littleton's market. They post updates about their construction, the progress, everything targeting, as Chris mentioned, kind of a Labor Day weekend opening somewhere around that kind of time frame. So keep an eye out for an opening announcement. I'm sure they'll be having kind of a grand opening. They have the farmer's market in their parking lot. I'm sure they'll be throwing kind of a big bash uh, as soon as they kind of open the doors to the public. You can follow us on Instagram too as well, at SpoonMob. Check out the website, SpoonMob.com, and then make sure to follow, subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform that you use to listen to podcast episodes. Appreciate everybody who's been listening. Appreciate all the outreach, submittal of questions, comments, feedback, recommendations. That's been great to see coming through the both just kind of direct to the email and then also through the contact portal on the webpage. So keep that stuff coming. Like I said, we get back to you in about a day or two, but we get back to everyone. We want to make sure that uh, anything that you take the time to submit, we're taking the time to get back at you with whatever you're looking forward to as well or point you in the right direction. That is it for this week. Uh, brand new episode. Brand new guest next week on the slate for Thursday. Again, appreciate everybody listening. If you're new, welcome. Uh, If you've been here for a while, thank you for your continued support. We will talk to you guys next week on Thursday.